Your style is unorthodox. But effective. It is not the art, but the combat that you enjoy. Man, you come right out of a comic book. You are now listening to Black Comics Chat. Black 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 Comics Chat. We are live on Black Comics Chat. Black Comics Chat. Black Comics Chat. We are live on Black Comics Chat. Black Comics Chat. Hi, this is Anthony Rutgazer. I'm the writer of The First Hero and Heroes of Homeroom C, and you are listening to Black Comics Chat. Hi, this is Regine Al Sawyer, owner, writer, creator of Lock It Down Productions, and the coordinator and founder of the Women in Comics Collective International. You are now listening to Black Comics Chat. That's you, Marcus. That's your that's when you say stuff. Okay, we're live. All right, cool, cool, cool. Hey, hey, what is going on? What's happening? What's cracking, people? This is Marcus Kwame, and we are back for another Black Comics Chat, a very special episode. Um, we are going to speak all about MPLS Sound, a.k.a. Minneapolis Sound. But um, before I get to our very special guests, I'm going to introduce the Black Comics Chat crew, starting with the Prime Minister of the Blue Czech Republic, you, Yoditos, Podrino, Padrino, almost, and almost. the undercover Sith Lord. We got Tony Snark in the house. What's up, y'all? I guess it's Yoditos, no, Padrino is better than I, saying. I, it's better than saying. Don't try Grogu's. to make me feel better, man. Don't make no, 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 no. I'm just saying. I, I fumbled the ball, man. <laughs> <laughs> I fumbled the ball, but then I, you know, I, I, I recovered the fumble. But you picked it up, yes, and, and we you, ended up with an extra five yards, so it's all good. You know? There you go. There you go. All right. That's sports stuff, Leo. Yes. I know you don't get down with. No, that. no, 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 no. Fumbled balls. I'm very familiar. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Just, familiar. just introduce him. <laughs> oh, <yes. Amazing>. and, uh, <laughs> now you know the man who knows all about fumbled balls. We got my <laughs> brother from another mother, Leo, in the house. Yeah, what's, what's, up? what's up, like comic chat? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm recovering off the vaccine. I think. I think the 5G didn't agree with me. My body is now, is now oh, a God. Wi-Fi hotspot. <laughs> There's going to be somebody in the audience. You know, he does look crisp on that screen. Yes, so. he does. Yes. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yo, what's up, y'all? Excited, excited to have that. To have, uh, we got, we got a, the room is packed tonight. The virtual room yes. is packed to the rafters. It's smoky. It's kind of sweaty. Uh, no masks. You have no, no masks. Ma- no mask free. No masks. <laughs> just ru- just fucking up the money. But we are distanced. We yeah, are. we are distanced. Yes. Ma- mask free, but distanced. That's that's kind of. Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing a mask. I don't know y'all that way. <laughs> you know, when you wear a mask wow. for the Zoom call, wow. you're like, chill, yo, I'm, you know, just trying to be. Tough. I gotta pull up my latest COVID 19 <laughs> test with a negative result. <laughs> a confirmation of antibodies and whatnot. Wow. Yeah. I got my back right. yeah, I, I got, got Photoshop. I know how to fake that. I'm, All right. Well, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to introduce everybody to our uh, you know vexed um, crew that we got in the house tonight. Uh, I, I'll go in the order of that you heard the voices. So first up, you have we have returning to the show, uh, you know, 
a writer extraordinaire and one of the two writers on the project that we're here to speak about tonight. We got Hannibal Taboo. How are you, sir? I'm very happy to be here. Thank you so much for bringing me back. Cool, cool. And um, the other voice that you heard, uh, you've heard him several, many times on the show, uh, although it's, it's been, been a while. It, yeah, it's, been it's, been, it's definitely been a minute. Yeah. Um, you know, a man who's uh, first black editor to uh, edit Batman. Uh, you know, he, he's worked on Milestone, Valiant, Lion Forge, Heavy Metal, all over the place. Um, but, you know, we are here to talk tonight about Minneapolis Sound. We got Joe Illich returning to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be back. Looking forward to talking with y'all on this Friday night. Okay, cool. And um, you can't you can't really have a comic book without uh, pictures, without art, you know, and um, we have, uh, you know, fantastic artists with us tonight, the illustrator of Minneapolis Sound, Meredith Laxton. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, no problem. It's our pleasure. So um, for all of you, Hannibal and Joe, you guys are familiar with the, the, the format. Um, we always start out by asking people their origin story, um, both as people who consume comics and people who create comics. Um, so I'm going to start with Meredith, since uh, you're new to the show. So can you uh, tell okay. us about yeah, how you got started you know, with comics as a reader and as a uh, creator? Um, so... Initially, I worked on video games, and um, mm -hmm. that was my original passion was I wanted to be a concept artist. Um, and then I got that job, and um, it wasn't quite exactly what I wanted it to be. Um, and I'd always kind of read comics passively, but um, when Can I found myself... At a... I'm sorry to interrupt. Can you say what games? Is yeah, like no problem. Or something? Um, no, no, no. So I worked for a small independent company called um, Puny Human, and we made this galaxy we call it a, sh a schmuzzler it's a shoot 'em up puzzler uh called galaside yeah and um i also did a little bit of freelance for an exile entertainment for bard's tale 4 um and just like other little small projects here and there kind of peppered about um cool. but i kind of came to an impasse with it and um that's when i started picking up comics again like i had kind of always passively read them but um and i wanted to make comics i didn't really know how uh, so a friend of mine convinced me to go back to school. And so I got my master's degree in sequential art and now I Oops. make comics and I love it. Cool. That's and, uh, awesome. yeah. Where, where did you uh, attend? Where did you get your master's? Um, for my undergrad, I went to NC state and I went to SCAD for my master's. Okay. You know, I feel like that has to be uh, like your path has to be unusual, right? Like, because I feel like a lot of people are trying to break into the game side, and you're yeah. literally there, and you're like, you know what? Actually, nah, nah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's um it was one of those things where I just like romanticized it so much, and I was like, yes, this is my dream job. And then I I just got there, and I was like, you know, I'm not really telling the kind of stories and like making the mm. kind of narratives that I want, and um. I think comics was just the solution to that. Can I can I sort of morph the question then? What were the games that mm -hmm. that took you on that journey to wanna to wanna get involved in game creation? Uh, so when I was very young, my best friend and I were uh, we were obsessed with the Silent Hill games. Right on. Um, and I feel like yeah, I love Silent Hill, and I I think it was just because it's such like a beautiful mix of like narrative and gameplay and atmosphere and like. 
it, I had this dream that I was like, yeah, I'm going to work on a Silent Hill game, which is like not even, they don't even make good Silent Hill games they anymore. Don't. I don't know what I was thinking. The, the, I'd say the last good one. Did you play Shattered Memories on the Wii? Yes, I Shattered did. Shattered Memories I yeah. thought was awesome. I thought that, I yeah, think that's the yeah. last great Silent Hill game. And there were ones that yeah. are like, okay, but they're not like the first. Few yeah, I'm, I'm a purist and I will always say one through three are the best, but Shattered Memories was kind of fun too. Um, but yeah, I was, I was, I had this illusion. I was like, yeah, I'm going to make a Silent Hill game. I'm going to be hot shit. And <laughs> obviously like that is a pipe dream and um, not realistic, but hmm. um and I, I, the experience that I've had in games, like I think I would much prefer to continue to work with indie game studios than like a triple A company mm. for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Wait, I, I interrupted. You were continuing to answer. I interrupted you as far. I think maybe you're talking about reading comics or I, interrupted oh, I already forgot. I'm so, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, <it's okay. laughs> that is totally on me. That is totally on yeah, me. Yeah, no, it's okay. So yeah, um, were uh, were there any any books that you uh, that do, do, did stick out to you that inspired you? Yeah, um, I have always been a fan of uh, Jillian Tamaki's work, so I love Skim and um, uh, uh, Boundless. I like a lot, and um, her cousin Mariko writes more mainstream stuff now, which is really exciting. Like she wrote uh, the She Hulk, and um, I think a Supergirl graphic novel that's coming out that just came out recently. Hmm. Um, I also really love David Mazzucchelli. Um, Mysterious Polyp hmm. is probably like one of my favorite, like that, big, oh, yeah. thick books. Amazing. Book. Yeah. That is one of, that is, that is one of the rare graphic novels that I read cover to cover twice in a row. Like I finished yeah. it and just yeah. read, it, read it again immediately. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's an achievement. Yeah. Cool. Cool. And now, uh, well, and we'll, we'll get into your work on, uh, Minneapolis sound, but uh, all right. Next, I'm going to go to uh, to Hannibal. Yes, yes. Yeah. All so, right. can you tell us so what your audience. Sorry. The fan way or the professional way? Both. Which way? You um, both. Both. Okay. Fair enough. Well, the fan way started with really being moved by the work of Paul Levitz in the Legion of Superheroes with Great Darkness Saga. When I saw Darkseid say. Yeah, Daxum, I'm going to take this whole planet from a red sun system, stick it into a yellow sun system, make everybody on the planet fly up, and use heat vision to carve my face into the, their own world, burning up all of their stuff in the process. I was like, whoa, this is some whole new stuff. Okay, this is the way I need to get down. And that really inspired me to start following things in a much more fanatical way in terms of comics than I previously did. Because I had Star Wars comics because I was a Star Wars person, but... I wasn't really chasing them down because the little rabbit guy wasn't really my thing and, you know, whatever. So that was my uh, fan origin. My professional origin started with Eric Stevenson, who is now the executive editor uh, at Image Comics, I believe publisher as well. But at the time, he was the guy that got hired to be an editor on this website that I was working called Next Planet Over. And we had worked together for a while, and he was like, hey, uh, would you mind writing some reviews? I've seen you've done it for Vibe. I've seen you've done it for The Source and Rap Pages. Would you mind doing reviews for the site? I'm like, why? They don't pay me for that. It's like, well, did you ever think about writing comics? I'm like, no. Who writes comics? What's that mean? He's like, you know names of people who write comics. I mean, have you ever thought of doing it yourself? I was like, I actually didn't think about it that way. No, black people? Okay. I, I'm going to, if you're saying this will help, no, sure, I'll do some reviews. And I started reviewing, and that turned into the buy pile, which is, is now 
almost 20 years strong, which is weird to say. Mm. Um, and yeah, there's uh, Eric introduced me to Jonah Wyland, who is the head of comic book resources. Comic book resources got me noticed by uh, Matt Hawkins, uh, who eventually judged my entry in the Top Cow Talent Hunt is winning in 2012. And I've been writing professionally since 2013. All right, cool. Um, Joe, so, I mean, you've answered this question several times. So the, the variant that we, uh, you know, add to the question for people who have answered it before is, can you tell us um, your origin story in, you know, in the comic book world, but also do you have an anecdote about maybe the earliest thing you remember creating? So maybe something you wrote when you were young or drew or, or anything creative. Wow. Okay. I mean, my real origin into the comic book industry was when I started interning at Milestone Media Inc. in 1993. And, you know, that's the first really seminal publisher of an inclusive, diverse superhero universe. They had a publishing deal with DC Comics. That's the company that created Static, which would come to be known as Static Shock one of the most popular black heroes in global culture. Um, so I started there as an intern. And after three months of being an intern, you know, one morning I went to Derek Dingle, who was a president, and said, hey, listen, I really like you here. I'm very appreciative of everything that y'all have taught me, but I have to get back out into the world and try to get a job. And so I went to lunch and I came back and they offered me a part-time job. And that was the beginning of my career in comics, in terms of an anecdote about the first thing I did. So I went to High School of Art and Design in New York City, and a friend of mine named Cesar Antimate and I, we did a 22-page comic about a black married superhero couple. And I still have the original pages and the painted cover, and I won't say what their names are because I live in eternal hope that we can one day get those characters out into the world. So, but that was the very first <laughs> full length comic book I wrote in the 10th grade at the age of 14. And, you know, it, it, it had, it had adventure, it had personal drama, it had a shower sex scene um, and it had a big bad guy from another planet that wanted to sap our resources. So it had all that good stuff and very cool costumes. <laughs> oh, you got other costumes. Yeah, of course, of course, of yeah. course. Hmm. All right. Cool, cool. Well, um, hopefully we'll, we'll, uh, see that another new iteration of that for the 21st century. Fingers um, crossed. Yeah. All right, so um, so tonight we're here to talk about about uh, this this amazing new book that that you guys put out. Yeah. Um, can you before we get into it? Can you just give us the 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 elevator pitch, the summary of of what the book is about? Wow. Okay. Not easy. Um. So basically, it takes place from the years 1980 to 1982. Um, MPLS Down starts for Minneapolis Sound, which is basically the musical movement that was spearheaded and primarily defined by Prince and his roster of musicians and producers. And the story is about a black woman named Teresa Booker, 
who, inspired by Prince, decides to create a band called Starchild, and Starchild becomes a band that goes against the system of the Minneapolis music scene at the time, which was dominated by white male rock. And they compete against a number of bands with the goal of becoming Prince's band. So in an alternate timeline, they would have been Prince's band instead of the revolution. Why they did not become the revolution, that secret history is what MPLS Sound is about. Okay, cool. And um, well, you mentioned Teresa, and uh, like she's a, a great protagonist. Actually, wait before before we get into Teresa, um, I want to ask you all like what individually, like what is your you know relation to the the music of Minneapolis or the music um, of this era and scene that you're dealing with? Like, what did what relationship did each of you have going into the project? We could, um, uh, Meredith, starting with. Yeah, yeah, Meredith. Let's start yeah, with sure. Meredith. Yeah. Um, well, I am a little bit younger. Um, so a lot of this music holds nostalgia for me from my childhood. Um, and whether or not I have the best memory recollection of that time is kind of uh remain to be seen. But like I've always loved Prince like tremendously, and I think Prince has influenced me a lot in terms of my own uh, identity and like my gender identity and kind of how I feel about myself and how cool I wish I was. Um, but yeah, and I honestly, I feel like um, a lot of people could say that as well. Like, I don't really think that my uh, uh, being affected by Prince is specifically um, unique or anything. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I have also like grown up with funk mostly from like my parents being really into it. And so like, in a way I kind of have this like subconscious appreciation from just being a kid and like listening to Atomic Dog over and over again. Yes, classic. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, Hannibal, what about you? Well, um, my family, I grew up in Memphis and my family was one of the first ones who were able to get cable television. Uh, and I immediately slid the dial all the way over to what was channel 33, the last channel on the, on the little slider thing, to MTV. And I began to absorb uh, this, this vaster you know, uh, musical culture than the local radio stations I had. I loved the barcades. I loved the music that was happening in Memphis. But uh, I was able to get a much wider uh, uh, tableau. And I remember seeing the Prince video for 1999. And I was like, what the heck is this? And it really like intrigued me a lot, so much to the point that uh, when in the summer of 84, when Purple Rain came out, two of my friends, we told our parents we were going to see some G-rated movie or whatever. And we bought tickets for that. And then we just snuck into Purple Rain. <laughs> and, uh, and my mind was forever blown and not just by Apollonia learning that was not Lake Minnetonka. Um, right, right. <laughs> Right into puberty, right there. Um, right there. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I really glommed on to the idea of somebody who is really talented and really determined, who could talent their way out of a one-horse town that had nothing going on, which for me, sitting in Memphis, looked enormously familiar. Uh, and, and I've been following that star to one degree or another ever since, uh, you know, trying to, in, in many the same way that Prince did, forge my own path, create my own team, do things my own way, just with me, hopefully with slightly less colorism. 
That's real. Um, Joe, what about you? You know, for me, my first big exposure to Prince was the Purple Rain film. I was 14 years old at the time, and we're talking about the 80s, so I was also pretty much a geek. So you could imagine going to the theater and seeing Purple Rain. Prince was basically the antithesis of almost everything that I was, right? And he was magical and sexy, and in some ways, his identity was one of androgyny and pure confidence and charisma. And so that was really the beginning of a major exposure to his work. For me, 1989 would come and he would do the Batman soundtrack Mm -hmm. and just basically drop mics again and again and again and basically redefine how you would do a film soundtrack. He basically took this film, he realized that he had access to all of that and he used it and remixed it and manipulated it and he made it his own, right? It wasn't Batman, it was Prince's Batman, Mm -hmm. right? And then when I got out of college and I had been exposed to the work of Samuel Delaney, um, reading his first work, Nova, having read the autobiography of Malcolm X as told to Alex Haley, then Diamonds and Pearls was a part of the soundtrack of my life. So Prince has really followed me through some really important years of my maturation. And as I've learned more about him, I've just learned how much he has influenced things. Like the idea that Darling Nikki led to the creation of the parental advisory labeling on records, right? Because Al Gore's daughter, (laughs) right? Loved Darling Nikki. The mother was horrified, right? And then started going to her friends who were basically the women of the political scene and fighting for some kind of censorship. And that was the beginning of what did lead to the parental advisory labeling. So this guy literally was so impactful that he led (laughs) to policies and people in that political structure trying to fight against what is natural, what is normal, the, the expression of individuality through music. Wow. I love that song though. I really do. Well, come on. <laughs> Wait, it's a great song. I mean, that whole album, that whole album was crazy. I love it. This is what I'm saying, you know? Yeah. So, all right. So, um, each of you were, was coming in with a, a level of, you know, appreciation with, with a good deal of appreciation. So how, how does this book come to be? Like, what was the genesis of this project? Well, um, <laughs> it's a funny story. So there was a gentleman named Fabrice Sapolsky. He was a, a senior editor at Humanoid. And kind of out of the blue, I got a call. My, and he says, hey, Hannibal, I've been reading your stuff. I'm interested in talking to you about some opportunities with you at Humanoids. Please come over and talk to me at the offices. I was like, oh, okay. So I took the day off of work, and I drove over there. And he brings me into this conference room. And he's like, all right, first we need you to sign this NDA. I'm like, oh, okay, it's like that? Okay, let's do that. So I signed the NDA, and I don't think much about it. 
And he starts to outline for me these books he's going to do, Ignited and Omni, and these H1 books that are going to revolutionize superhero comics and so on and so forth. I'm like, great. Forget about all that noise. That stuff's not important right now. I'm like, what? <laughs> but I was, I was wondering what to talk about that stuff. He was like, forget it. None of that matters. Don't worry about it. About sound like okay. Now, Fabrice is a French dude, first of all, so he's got a he's got an accent. I mean, he's like a full on from France French dude, but he knows so much about this musical scene, and it's such a passion and a love for him. And he was like, "I researched you. You worked in music journalism. I've seen the stuff that you've done, and I think you're the right person to start to bring this to market." And I was like, "Oh." Okay, I get. So we're not gonna talk about the other stuff though. That stuff is off the table. He's like, forget about all that. Nobody cares. I was like, all right, I guess nobody cares. So <laughs> we, we start digging into the material of this. Uh, Meredith's brought on, Joe's brought on, and we become kind of like, you know, a team to work collaboratively to create this gigantic sweeping tale of. Uh, it's a tragic tale of what could have been, but what ultimately could not have been based upon mm -hmm. market realities and certain things that were the way they were in the early '80s. And uh, yeah, it was it was quite a hoot. And you know, for me, I think I I think I started this like four years ago. So for me, it's like I have to remember. I'm like, what what happened again? Now I have to like go back through my notes because it's literally been a very long road to me. Right. Yeah. And we've also experienced two years and you know five years at the same time in the last uh, exactly last couple years. Yeah. Pretty much. All right, cool. So, um, yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about the the collaborative process. Um, you know, being that you had you know two writers on the project, what was the the co writing project, uh, co writing process like? Wow, I mean, you know, Hannibal was the one that was here first, and he really laid down the standards for the history. Right. He knows the history so well that when I came in, that was a standard that he basically set. And as he said, Fabrice Sapolsky, who was the first editor on the book, really had that knowledge as a Prince historian. And then Hannibal really laid the foundation of a number of core characters. So um, Teresa Booker is a main character. Teresa has a younger brother named Ellis. And so there relationship, their sibling relationship, their love for one another, and their support of one another was really at the core of the story. So it's been a four-year journey for Hannibal. For me, it's been a little less than two years. I first got the call in early 2019. I did not get to see the Humanoids conference room. I was not teased with the potential opportunity to work on the H1 superhero universe. He just went right to the jugular with me and said, you know, we have this project. This is something that is really close to me because I'm a Prince fan. And he said, the reason that I didn't want to write it is because I knew that black voices had to be the voices that basically did the script. He understood that as a social and ethical responsibility as did humanoids. So basically he said, We'd like you to come in and work with the nucleus that Hannibal has set up and see if you can, like, ignite it, right? Add, add another layer and texture to it. And 
I was like, okay, but I said, listen, I don't really know that much about Prince, so I'm counting on you to be my Obi-Wan and give me some direction. And so he gave me a lot of ideas about where to do research and how to research it. And so I really went on YouTube and found as many interviews and performances, live performances, not only of Prince, but of the people who worked with him and were part of his orbit. And it was important to get the perspective while they were working with him and after he had passed away and get a sense of that emotional arc and to understand some people that did not work with him and why to get an understanding of Prince's capacity for generosity with his songs, um, but also to back up what Hannibal said, to get a sense of Prince's shortcomings in terms of his guidelines for success. Hmm. And part of those guidelines did involve, as Hannibal said, colorism, right? Prince was very much someone who controlled his ecosystem down to the smallest detail. And so those are the things that I had to think about when helping to flesh out the journey of Teresa Booker and the band of Starchild. And then, you know, Meredith was already part of it. And of course I'll let her tell her story, but I will say that being the last member of kind of like the band to come in it was very important for me to talk to Meredith and get a sense of what, what she liked um, as a storyteller, what she likes in stories, because as a writer in comic books, which is so collaborative and so direct, one of the things that you want to do is you want to write to your artist's strengths. Uh, right? that, you want to get, yeah. you, you okay. give them the stuff to draw that they want to draw, right? So right. the interpersonal scenes were as equally as important as the performance scenes and as equally as important as the history that Hannibal set up as the foundation for this melodrama. Wow, that's really cool. Um, and it's actually, yeah, I mean, you don't always hear that about uh, the collaboration starting, like, you know, before and during the writing process of, you know, getting the artist's input. So, Meredith, um, you know, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you're a little bit younger. So given that, you know, I guess what was your your process um, in visually telling this story? And um, like I can imagine it was a lot of research and just trying to capture a completely different era. So how, how was that for you? Yeah, um, I'm definitely very research heavy. And um, this was actually like my first full length graphic novel. So I was really going in with like a. Uh, completely wet behind the ears. I have no idea what I'm doing <laughs> kind of situation. But um, mm. I, I I found that like, you know, both writers were so generous in their just like their character descriptions. Like I Hannibal sent me photos of people that, you know, he wanted uh, Teresa and Ellis to be based off of. And um, like it was just like the level of guidance that I got uh, in that pre-production phase was incredibly helpful um, I think the biggest hurdle was just capturing Minneapolis, like the the, the city, um, mm. especially during like a time period that like there's there right. are a lot of historical uh, records of what it looked like. 
Um, but it's not going to ever going to be the same as being there and, and seeing it in person. Right. Um, I did find in my research that um, you can go to First Avenue on Google Street View and you can actually go inside of it. Wow. So I, as far as interiors of buildings, I think that is the only one that might actually be accurate <laughs> because because I could actually go in in Google Street View and like look around and take screenshots and like actually get an idea of what the space was like inside. Um, but yeah, no, I, I definitely like uh, look through a lot of old photos. I actually had the opportunity to look at some old photos from like my family from the eighties to get a sense of like the fashion. Uh, I found a photo of my dad in a crop top and that was an experience, you know, it's yeah. So stuff like that. Cool. Will humanoids be giving you therapy for that? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a breakthrough. <laughs> All right. Does, does your dad know that you, uh, did you include him in the crop top or just based a character? on him? <laughs> He might be in the background somewhere subconsciously. Okay, now I'm looking for your dad. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> cracking it open again. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> with a with a new set of eyes. It's gonna be the it's gonna be your wear as well, though. There you go. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, so yeah, so I, I we mentioned Teresa before. Let's talk about her as a character. I think I also find it interesting in light of uh, you know, the the idea of um. Prince, uh, Prince's colorism, you know, Teresa is a, is a brown skinned woman and she's a, definitely a, a strong protagonist, but, um, tell us a little bit about her and, um, you know, how she came to be. Well, Teresa's based very, 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 very liberally on a woman that I worked with at Image Magazine in the early nineties, who, um, I was go we had this big launch party on a yacht and she was this dark skinned sister with box braids and she was kind of standing in the corner behind her friend who was this super light skinned sister that everybody was trying to talk to, right? So I don't even look at the other one. I just go straight at her and I start trying to talk to her. And she keeps looking around, she's like, Me? I'm like, Yes, you. She's like and she looks over to her friend and then she's like she's like she was super confused about it. But that energy was very interesting to me and something that I captured because she was so used to being eclipsed. She was so used to not being seen that when she was, it was a surprise. And seizing that, uh, seizing upon that energy was key to the character of Teresa in my mind. So I worked very hard to both visually, as Meredith says, I sent, I sent literal pictures of her, I believe even from that era, um, <laughs> to try to capture exactly what was going on there. Uh, but also, in terms of, you know, I've, I've been able to work at, like, say, for instance, the Wooten Center here in Los Angeles or uh, at, at Nickerson Gardens. I was part of a, a mentoring program, and I got to see people who feel like they're invisible, people who feel like they want a chance to see something greater but don't always get the opportunity. And a lot of that energy went into the creation of Teresa. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, go ahead, Joe. Well, I was going to say, you know, really platforming off of what, you know, Hannibal was saying, it's interesting because there's a scene in the book, you know, he talks about um, the idea of someone, you know, looking down and not always looking up. There's actually a scene in the book where as a little girl, like Teresa's father tells her, you know, there's nothing on the ground that's going to help you when things aren't mm. going your way. Like look yeah. life in the eyes. Right. And that was something that was really a through line of her existence. Right. Because basically, as a black woman in Minneapolis, 
like things weren't going to go your way a lot. Right. But you always had to look life in the eye. Right. And so in thinking about how I could complement what Hannibal really originated with Teresa and again with her brother Ellis, you know, I really thought about the strong black women that I know, the ones that are determined and brought some of their qualities to Teresa. And that could range anywhere from my mother to the blurred girl, Karen Mahorn, right? And I also brought a bit of myself to her um, because the idea of fighting against the system is something that I am pretty familiar with. And so that constant struggle for black people to plant their flag when it comes to their creativity in a scene that is not dominated by people that look like them, um, especially when you're dealing with the colorism issue and Teresa being her complexion and her brother Ellis being even darker than her. Those were the things that really spoke to the spine of the character and that kind of truth of the character that is going to universally connect with people from different walks of life. Yeah, and I definitely picked up on, um, you know, I mean, there's obviously this the, the the history of Minneapolis being a city where, you know, up until, you know, I would say maybe the late 70s, that there was a, it was, you know, an extremely white music scene, but like you had, um, you know, black artists kind of crashing in and, and, you know, elbowing their way in. And I mean, I think, you definitely see that through um, Teresa, um, but yeah, like yeah. I, I, I think that's one of the things that I like, the book does well is it it's it's subtle too. Um, it's it just comes about naturally, I think, through Teresa's conversations. Um, definitely, and there was also another thing that was intentional, which was the idea of so if this is a story that takes place in the ecosystem of Prince, and Prince is a catalyst then you're going to want echoes that kind of parallel Prince. So there is there are aspects to her origin story which are meant to mirror Prince's origin story because their journeys have similarities and the differences of their journeys is where things get really intriguing and complex. Well, that's interesting because I that kind of leads into another thing I wanted to ask. Um, and you know, I pose this to everybody, um, but I'll ask you first, Joe. Um, so you know, we we follow Teresa and Starchild, and um, but this, you know, you guys have said this is a a love letter to Prince. Um, so his presence is felt throughout the book. So when it came to to crafting it, like, how did the decision about you know how much to actually have him like on on screen or on page? You know, like, like, how did you come about um, deciding how much she would, you know, visibly and physically be there? Right. I think because I came in later in the process, Hannibal had to deal with the early issues of the legality that might be involved in something uh, like that. When uh -huh. I came in, the way I understood it was Prince's presence was to be minimal. And so because of that, when I did my first draft, he actually didn't say anything. And then when I got the notes from Fabrice, one of the notes said, why is Prince a deaf mute in this story? 
And I said, because, bro, I didn't think I could have the purple one say anything. And he was like, no, you can have him talk. I was like, really? Okay. But then it's like, okay, that's a gift. It's not something that you abuse. And since this is not the story of Prince, but Prince is a catalyzing agent, the idea was that it's not about how much you see him in the story, but it's about what he says while he's there, right? So the idea was that he would never have such a presence that he would eclipse the story of Teresa Booker and Starchild, but he would be at these very important touch points where he would push and pull Teresa toward her destiny. Okay. Um, so Hannibal, can you, I mean, I don't know how much you can say, but like, uh, what were the, if you can say, what were the legal challenges or what were the limitations on like what you could write for Prince? Well, when we started this out and we, Fabrice was talking to me about the whole idea, I was like, you know, we're going to get completely sued. Right. And he was like, no, we're not going to get sued. I'm like, we're totally going to get sued. These people are super litigious, man. What are you talking about? But he was like, look, you don't have to worry about that. I'm the editor. You, you just do your thing. Don't worry about that. I was like, all right, if you say so. But my early instructions, as Joe noted, were Prince can't talk. Uh, Prince can't do this. You can't do yep. this. You know, you can't put words in the mouth, especially of mm. actual living people, actual people like Jimmy Jam, Alexander. You know, there were a lot of ones that were more touchy than others. Uh, that, pro- that through the process of creating the book, that morphed. That started to change. However, one thing that did not change was the idea that Prince was less a character and more like a weather system. Mm-hmm. If you grow up in uh, places like Minneapolis or Memphis or lots of places in the Midwest, you're used to weather that blows into town and does major changes and then it disappears. And, and Prince was like that. He was like a storm front that would blow into Teresa's life, knock some things down, sometimes change things, sometimes things get better, sometimes not. And that remained constant. Uh, I believe that Alexander O'Neill also ended up playing a different type of weather pattern in her life as well that I thought was a, a, a really good thing because his story, uh, as one person who fell out with Prince, uh, uh, Prince's favor, he actually got kicked out of his own band at the time uh, yep. and replaced by Morris Day. So yep. that what, all those parallels rolling in there was to show the effect that Prince could have even wing it was very similar with president bartlett he didn't have to be in the room but you felt his presence you felt his wishes through every single character and this was a very similar thing to that mm-hmm. very cool um so meredith i have a, another art question for you um you know we, we spoke about the collaboration you know early on but like just just talk the nuts and bolts of your your approach to um to art and pages and and panel work like how how did you um approach this book i know you mentioned it was your first graphic novel but what what was your work process like yeah um that's a good question uh because it was kind of a fever dream (laughs) but um i like i think i had mentioned that there were a couple hiatuses throughout um just, you know, due to life and, you know, whatever was going on in, in everybody's uh, situations. Um, but basically, like, I got the script and um, I would kind of do it at chunks at a time, which I wouldn't recommend um, because part of 
I, I kind of surprised myself with the book um, because like, I didn't really know what was going to happen in the next chunk. Cause I was just like doing it 10 pages at a time, just in intervals. Cause like those were palatable bite-sized pieces to me at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a way I kind of felt like as I was working on the book, I was also like reading it and discovering it. Um, but I don't recommend that. <laughs> I feel like that <laughs> in some ways, like definitely threw me off because there were things that happened at the end and I was like, Oh my gosh, like, no way. This is so great. I can't believe this is happening. Um, but like, man, if I had just like been working more meticulously, I probably would have prepared better for something like that. Um, but yeah, no, um, it was, it was a pretty easy process going through. Like I would submit, you know, the pages that I did to the editors and occasionally I would get some notes back from the writers. And, um, for the most part, like it was pretty positive and very like, um, encouraging feedback from Joe and Hannibal and, um, you know, I feel like working on a graphic novel is like a marathon and, yeah. you know, you just, you get, you get the script and then you're just like, okay, I have to bury myself under a rock and just like pump out pages and never see the light of day. That's real. Yeah. I, yeah. I um, Marcus, you know. Yeah. Wait, the, <laughs> yes, I do. The, um, the, 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 the book, the book's genesis was during the pandemic or prior? Way before, way before. Way before. This yeah, because I remember I my family. I think we uh, the money that I got paid initially I used to take my family on part of an overseas trip, and that was uh, at least a year before the pandemic. Mm. So yeah, this yeah, this mm. is this has been this has been percolating for quite some time. It's it's interesting, right? The idea of like a story releasing during the pandemic about rock shows, <laughs> like going to <laughs> yeah. concerts and shit. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's kind of aspirational. <laughs> Well, listen, dude, there's that. And there's the fact that this book came out last week when real history was made in Minneapolis. Minneapolis. Right? Yeah, yep. yeah, like absolutely. the, like, that's, what's crazy. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It's like, like, you know, humanity is basically a trash fire to the point where one little thing that resembles justice makes us believe that we're actually turning a corner which could be furthest from the truth right yes, because yeah, this yeah. is basically the size of dna when it comes to justice and reparations but the fact that we're putting out this story about minneapolis that is supposed to make you feel good mm-hmm. right it's kind of like it's a good time to do it and it's a strange time to do it. But you know, it's it's interesting though, because uh I mean obviously you're not tackling like police violence in the story, but um you very much I mean race and perception and you know the way that like there's opportunity for some and not as much for others, that's very much a part of your story. So in a lot of ways it doesn't necessarily clash, you know, because um I think those parts of the city, um, it manifests itself differently, obviously, with police violence. But I mean, I, I think it's 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 all interconnected. I totally agree. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. So, I just want to make a comment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm sorry. I, I, the reason I've been sort of silent is because I'm having motorcycles ro- race through, and I think they're done. So I, I want to ask this question, or rather, Have make they a all comment. been vaccinated. <laughs> I don't know. I don't care. Um, 
The one thing that I really enjoyed about this book, and, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we've been watching Jem every Sunday. This is like it's been in my head the whole like, time. <laughs> I feel like I'm watching like a, a story we should be seeing like in a in a black gem type of comic comic right. or cartoon. Or cartoon. Um, I love seeing cartoon. Movie. Imagine that, right? So it, yeah. it, this is very much, and I'm not saying that this was a part of like the inspiration. This gives me very much a black gem feel, and I and I enjoy it so much. So thank you. Yeah, I will say when I started to get the start to see the work from Meredith, I was just really pumped about that energy that you're talking about. Partially because my kids are sick of me playing Universal Appeal by the Misfits. I'm really a Misfits guy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, yes, you are. Yeah, yes. you totally are. Dude. So you know, we got to be who we are. And and I really, I really appreciated that she kind of caught this kind of. Uh, day glow applique yeah. to the really gritty reality of Midwestern uh, vibes there. She really nailed that. Yeah, yeah, thank you. It was really important for me to make Teresa just as like fabulous as possible. Like, yeah, there's outrageous yeah. energy. There's outrageous energy. Yeah. 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 Truly, truly, truly outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> glamour, and, glamour and glitter. Yes, yes. It's so funny because I definitely grew up on Gem as a teenager, and I remember thinking, and my friends and I would talk about this, and we were, like, all into, like, Robotech and, right. like, anime and stuff like that, but we were, like, you know, like, these gem storylines are pretty complex. Yeah. We were, like, this is not, like, a silly cartoon. Like, they're really... Oh, it can into be. it. It can. They're getting it. Well, no, well, no doubt. Listen, well, they, they won but, the grand, um, they won the Grand Prix at some point. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was a, it was a, it was a show fame, I think. Wow. Well, uh, you know, like, you know, speaking of what Hannibal was saying about when you're a writer, and the art starts coming in, hmm. and and different neurons start firing, and I can I can definitely like attest to the fact that. You know, when I became involved, I it wasn't intentional, but as we were going, I realized, oh, I know what this is. Like, this is basically the Purple Rain of graphic novels, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. This is not supposed to bring you all the way down. It's not supposed to be a polemic on society. Right. It is a love story, funk, rock, ballad, melodrama, romance. It's all of that mixed up in the music, right? So when Meredith's pages started coming through, and especially those double-page splashes, it was like, yeah, that's what this is. And by doing that, you know, there's no other comic book out like this. There's no other graphic novel out like this, right? And so... It, it, it's funny those kind of um, kind of like those happy accidents, these creative accidents that happen, where it's not about where your head is, where you start, but it's where you get along the way. And you know, the book is truly a labor of love, and you can see that in every page. And yeah. one of the people we haven't mentioned, um, who is Meredith's partner in crime, is the colorist Tan Chu. Yes. Who, yeah, the colors are beautiful. Yeah. I mean, come on. Pop man. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're just done here, right? And yeah. just like the use of the color purple, different variations of purple, yeah. how that came to the scene. And um, another unsung hero, Rob Levin, who was the second editor on the book, it was his idea when we were doing 
um, the flashback scenes to not do them in the typical monochromatic way. Mm -hmm. But he was like, do them in regular color, but there's no borders, right? So you'll notice when you go to flashback, those panels do not have border lines. Right. They're just well, totally atmospheric. That's an inspired yeah. choice. That, that, yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's something really... Um, I want to say, I don't know if cinematic is the right term, but there's there's something about how, you, um, you know, you visually play around with, um, you know, seeing Teresa in present day and mirroring it with, um, you know, something that's visually similar from her past and um, simultaneously also using that to give us key elements of the backstory, like her her parents passing away or her father's funeral. Um, but I, I, I don't know, that, that really, really grabbed me to just... Um, it was very seamless, the bouncing back and forth between present and past, and I think it worked effectively. Yeah, thank you. And I'm going to geek out now on merited storytelling for a minute. There's a page in there. It's a four-panel page where it starts off with Teresa standing in the rain in the present, yep, yep. and then it slides to the past where she's at the funeral of her that's dad. The, yeah, that's what I'm thinking And, about, yeah. and yeah. there's this brilliant thing that Meredith did where Teresa starts off on the right side of the page at the top, and then she goes towards the left side of the page at the bottom, but she's always looking to the right of the page. Mm. And at the bottom of the right of the page is her father's tombstone, um, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and just something about that storytelling is yeah. just like, that. this is why comics are dope, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know what, like, I mean, now that I'm thinking about it, even like, um, you know, like, like, not exclusive to comics. There's, what I feel like the only like rock stories we get are like fucking biopics and shit. Like that's really mm. it. <laughs> like, like that's the like the last like I'm I'm racking my brain right now. Somebody please correct me. I'm racking my brain right now. I'm like, is Scott Pilgrim the last like big rock movie we had like that isn't a biopic? Oh my god, that's mm. a good is question. Because I love is that Scott. Possible? And that sounds wrong. Yeah, like, it kind of it can't be, but. Well, I mean, some people yeah. would say, "What's that Bradley Cooper thing?" They'd say that's a rock movie, but oh, uh, oh, uh, oh Lady right. Gaga, yeah, Star is Born, a Star is Born, yeah, uh, which, oh. which was a, which was a remake of it was been right, a, a earlier remake of a remake, Chris Christopherson yeah. and what was it, Robert Streisand? Yeah, well, there's been multiple versions yeah. of it, yeah. Yeah, fuck a, all right. So fuck oh. a remake, fuck a biopic. All right, that's my that's what I'm saying. Just like a like a rock movie about rocking, a rock story about. <laughs> rocking like where that's sort of the energy there can be real stuff in there obviously it's fine to like place it like within a specific right. era uh that's you know that 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 just adds texture obviously the way this one does um but it's not like this isn't like a prince comic you know this isn't like a retelling of like a thing um yeah and I, I, yeah and i do and i do love that and like tony like yeah like you know reading it like you're just thinking about gem um, and it is quite it is quite different to Gem in some significant ways. Although Gem like Gem had very interesting like like diversity uh, uh, inclusions within it as well. Not to downplay that like they did they did do some stuff, but it's not telling the same story at all. Um, but uh, but yeah, like we like I feel like these stories are sort of important. They're some of my favorite stories. Like looking back in comics. I know that they like there there are I mean I know there's the gem there's the gem uh, comics obviously um, that were not that were not too long I don't know when the last gem one we had was but it wasn't too long ago yeah. also, it's been about three years uh, yeah okay All yeah right. I feel like Kelly Thompson who writes Captain Marvel I feel like she wrote the gem comics oh yeah or she wrote the, the I think Kelly Thompson wrote some gem comics yeah. 
and, that, and that's cool. And I, and that's great. But like, we, it's just not something we get a lot. I like, for some reason I was thinking of, have you guys ever read the, the Bill Sienkiewicz, Jimi Hendrix? Uh, oh, please. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Child. Of yeah. Course. Yes. That's really good. Come on, dude. You that's got really to, good. you got to have that book. <laughs> I definitely you have got, that book. You I'm got my, to have that book. I in the Bronx with the CD in it and all that. That was, that's yeah. a good one. That's a good one. Um, that's a biopic one, obviously. Um, but, but, totally. But the, but the, I mean, it's like it's obvious. It's inspired by a bunch of stuff. But the the, the genre is not packed, and I kind of like like, I like the idea because, I don't want to sound like old old manish or puritanical or anything like that. But like, you know, a, a lot of times like with books and a lot of times with indie books, um, violence is at the center. And you know, like like in a rock book, like the the splash pages, like you're detailing that Meredith worked on. Right, right. The splash pages aren't you know like like some supervillain getting their their teeth kicked in. They're they're a band rocking. <laughs> that is the splash page, and that's cool. And we kind of need some more of that. I I need some more some more nonviolent splash pages would be nice. I think. Uh, yeah. So yeah, like I mean, I I I think I'm I'm basically like using a lot of words to to, to blather about what you summarized succinctly, Joe, which was that there isn't another book like this on the shelf at the moment. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, like, ju yeah. jumping off of that, um, you know, one of the things that you know, even even going in, uh, I was thinking about is like you know, music obviously is is audio and. Um, I think there are distinct challenges, like you know, to bring an audio art form to the mm. uh, written page. Mm. But I think that that you all did it really effectively. Um, I guess can you talk about the specific challenges of you know bringing something audio to the page and like how you um, basically like you know overcome the hurdles of of us not being able to hear the music? Synesthetic creation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think early on there was discussion about like how are we going to represent music on the page. And um, there was some thoughts going around that maybe the lyrics of the songs would be floating in the background or there would be musical notes to denote like the sound was happening in your brain. You just have to imagine what music sounds like. Um, and I think we ended up nixing that idea altogether. And I find that that is more effective because like as a reader, you can use your imagination and you right. can make up whatever these lyrics are, or whatever the sound is and like use the visuals to just like, you know, remind you of that genre of music and you can just fill in the blanks with your brain. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just expression and, uh, you know, even just, uh, I'm just look. I'm looking through some pages, but just like even this, you know, artists and the way they're interacting with their instruments, it's uh, it all, it all came through. Can I can I posit our 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 sound effects in comics going extinct? No, nope. so. no, Hannibal. Oh, really? Speak speak on it, my dude. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I have to read between twenty five and sixty books a week anyway. Uh, if, if you, all the way from at, at the top of the production value with King and Black, the big crossover there, all the way down to, you know, uh, your, when you see something like Grendel, uh, uh, the Grendel series where he's looking for a new planet for humanity, there's, uh, there's no shortage of sound effects. What there is, is there's a shortage of sound effect, uh, uh, what, what I would say diversity, you know, mm -hmm. you're going to see a million snicks 
before you get one That is what it is when you have 70,000 Wolverine books. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, that's so funny. And that really makes a commentary on. So, 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 Leo and Marcus, I know y'all follow me on, on Twitter. You've, we've, we've had some dances. So I know you know that at the very least, there's one convention in mainstream comics that I think I got tired of it like four years ago, right? Mm-hmm. And when approaching this and the spirit of what this was, I was like, there will be none of those in this. Mm-hmm. And it was internal narrative captions. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I am so goddamn tired of the soliloquies that are happening in people's heads when they're doing everything. And I mean, every city is a right? festering wound, and I can only feel it day <laughs> by day. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so with this, right? It was like, okay, if you were if you were watching this, you know, if you were like, if if this book was your window into these lives, you wouldn't know what these people were thinking, right? And to go to what Meredith said, if there's no lyrics. And you are allowing the reader to, the opportunity to create their own Spotify list mm. um, or to channel whatever Prince soundtrack is the most um, in, embedded in their psyches while they're reading this, then then why should there be sound effects? Mm. Right. Right. Because sound, sound effects are special, but they don't need to be in every story. Right. Right. No. So the the sound the sound effect of the story is the music. Right, but it's but it's all, but it but the music is only like represent or like dramatically expressed in the motion of bodies and the imagery and you know in that it doesn't have a it's like yeah like I don't know I, I don't think this is what you were saying Meredith but it, but I feel like uh, sound effects can be a cheat. And I feel like in a in a book that's that's preoccupied with music and sound, it, like it almost would have come off as one, maybe, like even if it was just some musical notes or like some uh, some like presented uh, lyrics, even though that's textual and kind of even more detailed. But it is it's it's the smart move. It's like there's something else that it's generating, either like like prompting in the reader, uh, or or just sort of. Avoiding like what whatever possible like cliche could have been summoned from it. Like musical notes would have just uh, definitely not not worked. This was yeah. this is the way. And you know you know every musician would be like actually that wouldn't make sense. You know what I mean? Yeah, oh, they, they'd be that they'd opens be that other <laughs> line of like yeah textual yeah. Uh, textual investigation. Um, yeah. We should have released like a Spotify playlist to listen to along with the read. That would have been cool, yeah. We yeah. blew it. I mean, you still can, right? You could maybe call it like you know, page each track like page twenty-three or or whatever. Hannibal yeah. is definitely the one most qualified, possibly, to create the Spotify list. I mean, that kind of should happen. The dark gift is different for us all. <laughs> that's true there's there's still a possibility right so mm-hmm. let's see let's mm-hmm. let's talk to humanoids about that yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all right cool um 
Well, you know, usually, so usually uh, our, our show is divided into two parts. There's the the interview about whatever work we're speaking about, and then there's the the chat portion of the show where we talk about you know Child things that are going on. We're not going to talk about today. Yeah, we're, we're not we're not going to speak about fucking yeah. But <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I'm four episodes behind. If you speak oh, about it, I'm out of here. We're not. We're not. No, 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 we're not going to this weekend. Wow. Okay. I, I will just say I I enjoyed Dude. I enjoyed today's episode. That's okay. all I'll say. All right. All right. All right. That's all I'll say. All right. All right. I mean, can um, we talk about WandaVision? No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, we can talk about things that are coming out when maybe things that we can time travel and talk about Loki. No, oh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Well, that comes yes. out in yeah, that's right. Yeah. That comes out in June, I believe. I think so. I think. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. No, what I want to talk about is that Shang Chi trailer. Did y'all oh, yeah. see that yes. trailer? Multiple times. I yes. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah. I can't wait for that. Oh God, that was just, that it's, was probably the most amazing trailer this year. It it was definitely, I mean, it was definitely better than I expected. Um, and from what I understand, they, you know, Marvel took the steps for the representation behind the scenes, the writers. I will say though that the one thing I got from it, and this is neither a negative or a positive. This is just my impression about it, and this may be intentional. I have to believe it's intentional. I feel like. That trailer, and I guess the film to a larger extent, represents the totality of aesthetic of Asian stories in cinema, in one mm -hmm. film, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because they basically did Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon for the 10 years that Shang-Chi's father allows him to be who he wants to be. There's some John Woo action in there. We got Aquafina up in there cracking jokes, doing speed with like a bus or something like that. And it's like, it's almost like, like Shang-Chi is a metatextual statement, right? On the history of, of Asians in cinema, in one film. And if they pull that off, God bless them. That was the vibe I kind of got from that trailer. Yeah, I even got like this this vibe of crazy rich Asians too. Like, oh, totally. Yeah, that oh, stuff. Too. I was like, wow. <laughs> so yeah, I totally agree with that. that yeah. was, and, I, and I look forward to it. I, you know, I don't know much about Shang Chi, uh, but I'm so glad that he, that he's coming. And uh, let's put to rest any debate about him and uh, Iron Fist or whatever. Oh that, God, that person is. Oh. <laughs> Well, there's Why? no debate. Like, Shang-Chi is a superior martial arts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Why did we have there's... to bring Danny Rand into this? Why? <laughs> and oh, and to be goodness. fair, Danny's not the problem. The way he was written is the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Danny Rand's a cool character. Yeah. Obviously, Danny yes. Rand is a product of, um, you know, cultural co-opting. That right. he is. But, like, if you, like, look at, like, Matt Fractions, like the immortal mm -hmm. Iron Fist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's Come on. Stuff. Like, like, yeah. like we're done here. So, yeah. you know what I mean? So, yeah. but yet, yeah, but dude, brush up on Shang-Chi. I mean, I grew up on Master of Kung Fu as a kid and, and it was dope. It was Bruce Lee films, like, come to life. Yeah, they have changed a lot of uh, the more problematic from the past. That's what I was going yes, to say. Yes, yes, that's what I was going to say. Because I, I, uh, I think I mentioned on the show some of my uh, early <laughs> young comic book work um, came at a time, you know, when I was a kid, and I, uh, my 
I think my comic was called Shadow Masters. Um, extremely derivative, like completely derivative, but like it was literally based on what I gleaned from all the comic books I'd read. And nobody will ever see Shadow Masters, uh, but it was it was not my finest moment. Right. In it's vaulted. It's vaulted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even know if I have it. I think I might have got rid of it at some point. Um, but yes, but my point is that like absorbing, you know, like you said, some of those more problematic elements. Um, you know, I, I, I had to unlearn that. But um, yeah, like I think it, it, it's good that you had there making a real effort to actually have you know people of the culture tell their story. What is and, uh, is is Marvel like? You know, doing some like you know date for date like series or they any is is there any kind of like you know black black widow is going to do that it's going to do uh a, a shang chi uh uh mini series where he uh had to fence off he he found out that he had these five step siblings that he heard about he had to draw shenanigans he almost got poisoned it was it wasn't bad it wasn't really paced for periodicals. It was really like I was like, "This is a real graphic novel guy. Package it up, send it on to the Penguin <laughs> Random House, and just call it day." Uh, Too uh-huh. soon. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but and that was recent. Okay, yeah. I see. I wasn't. I'm not. I'm not up on. Yeah, Gene Gene Luen Yang wrote it. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. great. Oh, yeah. Cool. All right, now I'm interested. No, no. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah, yeah, Speaking of comics, I want to flip to something Meredith said early on, where you were talking about, she was talking about, like, one of her favorite graphic novels is Asterios Polyp. Yeah. Mm. Like, that's my wife's favorite graphic novel. (laughs) Like, David Mazzucchelli and Brian K. Vaughn are definitely connected to my marriage, because when we started dating, I was like, okay, I'm I'm going to try a test, and and if she passes, it'll work, right? And I gave her the first volume of Why the Last Man. Mm-hmm. And she was like, mm-hmm. I like this. And I was like, okay, this has a this has a chance, right? <laughs> but when I brought home Asterios Polyp, she basically took ownership of Asterios Polyp. Mm-hmm. And she would read it sometimes when I was not at home. And she actually finished reading it. And it became her favorite graphic novel. Uh, it's so yeah. I'm due for No, I it's it, it's Amazing, yeah. It's also, really as you were saying that, uh, it occurred to me, Joe. There's, there's probably a, a um, comic book themed rom com. I don't think anyone's ever done a comic uh, rom com before. You might want to. Well, like in comics. Oh no, no, on film. Well, the first I'm thing we got to do story. is it, we got to get the MPLS sound film. Right, right, right. That's, that's what Leo was asking for. Leo was asking for that earlier. Yeah. Whether he yeah. realized it or not. Yeah, so no, we got to get no, the MPLS sound film. So that you know, Meredith and Hannibal and I can see some extra royalty checks when right. that augments the sale of the graphic novel, and then we'll get to the rom com. Well, I mean, that will I think uh, you know fuel your 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 business capital in, as you uh, move into the rom com genre. Really, I just want to get you guys into rom coms. What I'm saying. Yes. All right, all right. It's the goal this entire time. Did my wife put you up to this? <laughs> Did my wife put you up to this? He's a here? sleeper agent. He's a sleeper agent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm working for a big rom com. No, 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 this dude for like almost 20 years. I had no idea this whole time. He's a Manchurian candidate for getting to make rom coms. No, no, I, no, I have so many questions. First of all, how dare you? No. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, no, I'm, I, I am not working for big rom-com. I definitely have to, <laughs> to speak to Ushi in the chat. Uh, Ushi, I know you want to petition to see <laughs> Shadow Masters, but I honestly don't know if it exists. I did it on those, uh, you guys, I don't know if you remember, like back in the 80s and 90s, like the Mead would put out like these uh, these sketchbooks. They would have like the red cover. And that, there was like a few different kinds. There was like one had a brown cover. And yeah. I think I think for Shadow Masters, I had like one of the big sketchbooks and I would just fold the pages in half. Uh, and yeah, it, it wasn't great paper. I, I, Shadow Masters has probably disintegrated even if it exists uh, anywhere wow. right now. So I'm I'm sorry, Ush. I, when I, I was, when I I was still it. drawing comics, I used to draw them on graph paper. Because it would like help me. Yeah, I did the, some of that. Yeah, too. with like the percent, like the ratios and stuff. It was yeah, totally yeah. cheating. And I was like, oh, yeah, once I make this legit, I'll just copy it in such a way that you won't be able to see the graph lines. Um, yeah. Uh, also, uh, Ushi mentioned uh, Mortal Kombat, which, yeah, yeah, we, we talked, I think we maybe talked about in the green room, um, which I've, I've not seen, although I have my little HBO alert on my phone about it. I probably watched it over the weekend. What what was what was y'all's relationship to the to the first to the very first Mortal Kombat? Were y'all y'all around for that? Were y'all here for it? No, I, w- I was the perfect age. Yeah, to be, me too. Uh, me to too. Be I mean, you're probably talking to our guests, but yes, I I was the perfect I'm age. Talking to everyone. Be, uh, talking everyone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a Street Fighter guy, so mm-hmm. I always mm-hmm. found more. Like Thank I you. remember when the game came up, I thought that the the character animations were really stiff, and I was like. And, okay, you're doing this for blood. I get this. This is real cute. But this is not a fighting game. Street fighting. Mm. That's a fighting game. And I was very tribal about it for a long, long time. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so the first movie, I was, I was very like, yeah, I'm not really here for the first movie. But I started, before I came out here, I started the new Mortal Kombat movie. And mm-hmm. I'm only, like, maybe 20 minutes in. And I'm not going to lie. It looks amazing. It looks yeah. really, really good. Yeah, I'm definitely. I'm gonna watch that after after Falcon. I think I I agree with you in terms of Street Fighter. Although, and I've never been into Mortal Kombat as much as I was in the Street Fighter when I was younger. Um, any of the games, but I will say that from two on, it's more of a it's more of a competitive fighter in comparison to Street Fighter. The first one is like is sort of fugazi in a lot of ways, but then like the second one, like it picks up and like there's. There's techniques and shit in that one that are. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, on the other hand, I do know that I remember I was the only one of my friends that could get past Bison on the first game because mm-hmm. I figured out the math of his pattern, and everybody else was like, because he hit so hard that they would mm-hmm. it would just scare people, and I was like, you can't get scared if you get tagged once in a while. You just got to figure out the math, and you can watch it, and and it was really super easy for me, and nobody understood that. Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can also jab wait, him. Wait, out. Wait, you wait, can wait. you can jab him out of his oh, uh, electric on, spin. You saying you figured out the math? Like, did you have like a book and you like made equations? And, I need I need more information. And and was this arcade or are we talking about at home? <laughs> oh, this is arcade. Oh, oh, okay. absolutely, hundred percent. But the trick the trick with the video game version of M Bison is that he does jump, jump, punch, jump, punch. It's like a specific pattern mm. that he does. So and once programmed. you pay attention to it long enough and you get tagged and lose enough quarters long enough, you can figure out, it's like, oh, wait a minute. So if I do this, if I match your rhythm and if I match it, and it's really, it's just math. It's, it's well, it's kind of music, truth be told, because there's a rhythm to it. Um, and once you figure that out, I was like, yeah, I, I was able to pretty much take him out in two rounds every time after a while. All right, I, all right. I, have, I, have, I have two comments on that. One, again, I, do, I still remember you, the learning that you can jab him out of his, his spin attack. Um, you can cancel it with a jab, 
very, which is really good to know. Secondly, I, I, I hear you, Hannibal. I, re I respect your approach to it, but I will say that there are arcades that had the ability, depending on who ran them and who was managing the, 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 the machine, they could increase the challenge and difficulty on that. And what you're talking about does shift when you increase the challenge on Street Fighter. There were places that would like boost the challenge. Like if people were like too good in the neighborhood, they could make the arcade harder. They had like difficulty modes within the shit. This is this is how people got into like turning making Rainbow Street Fighter 2 machines, which I don't know if anyone knows what that is, but that's a whole other situation. But so I don't think it's as foolproof as you define. I don't. Th I think there are there are difficulty modes that would counter your your uh, your. <laughs> <laughs> your, your your strategy, your 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 on the back of the box strategy, but well, it's been a I long time. They never, since I they, they never changed it where I was, and yeah. you know, was, and that's all, all that matters. Yeah, right, that's all right. that matters. Good. 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 <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm mixing up my character name. It was he was called just Mike at the time, the boxing character. The, Oh, Balrog. Oh, Balrog. Yeah, Balrog. Oh, right, well, in, Balrog. in Japan, oh, yeah, Japan he is whole... M. Bison. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The, game, the game that we had in Memphis, at least at the corner store where I was, it had them correctly? Really? Yeah. Oh. So oh, that's shit. why I was like, when when this flying guy with the cape pops up, I'm like, this isn't no M. Bison. What's this? <laughs> right. Yeah. Hold on. So wow. wait a second. Did it have, like, Japanese text and stuff? Or was it, it had, a Japanese? Yeah, it, it was a lot of Japanese text in it, but I could, you know, huh. I, didn't, I wasn't there for reading. <laughs> I played Street Fighter 2 for the story. I played it for, oh, the, for the inter for the stereotypes. Yeah, the fight, the interstitial dialogue that happened in between the fights. Obviously. The interstitial dialogue. Because I was talking about Street Fighter One. Street Fighter One, where you had to, uh, the the oh, just Street Ken and Ryan. Street Fighter One was. They were the only Street two Fighter characters, like, just Ken and Ryan. Street Fighter One is. Yeah. I mean, Street Fighter One is terrible. Like, yeah. I, we yeah. have Street Fighter One at my video store too. I loved it. Oh man, no. I loved it back no. then. I loved it when it came out, but it's. I, I didn't even love it back then. It was like it was <laughs> stiff as hell, man. It was really stiff. I mean, really when stiff. it first came out, though, what did you have to compare it to? No, the dark gift is different for I us mean, all. Practically nothing. True. Yeah, practically yeah. nothing. Um, yeah. But uh, but no, but two two is two is the two is the moment. Two is the two is the time. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, how did we get talking to Street Fighter? Mortal? Oh, because you're talking about Mortal Kombat. Oh, That's Mortal right. Kombat. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, so I, no, so I ain't seen it. I'll watch. I mean. Uh, yeah, Mortal Kombat was like big for me when I was a kid. Also, also the anybody remember off top the actress who played Sonya? She was like Sonya. that girl. Yo, she was in way back in the ninety one ninety. Yeah, the OG, or... the OG Mortal Kombat. You don't remember who she is? She was in no. um, Billy Madison. She was like his. his oh, she's in Billy you Madison. Know okay, who now I'm I talking about? You know who I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Veronica. I Bourne. do now. I, I do now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, shout, shout out to her. She was in like a couple things, and then she just vanished. And then she like wasn't anything anymore. Hmm. But uh, but yeah, yeah, she was uh, she made a big splash there. Um, and yeah, and it has Christopher Lambert as well. As Raiden, Raiden, right? Yep, okay. yep. Um, yeah, I don't know, but I'm the same. Like I, I never, I never was like fully in the Mortal Kombat camp. Um, but the, but the, and and then and also like I had I've never seen a Mortal Kombat sequel that was good. I think I saw two of them and they were like absolute garbage. And I'm not saying the first one is a masterpiece, but the the follow-ups were were piss poor to my to my recollection. The ones I saw, um, but uh, but yeah, no, I'm I'm totally here for this. I want to I want to see this. I'm not going to a theater. I ain't doing all that. Even two nah, weeks after this nah. vaccine, I ain't going to a theater for that. 
Mm-mm. Exactly. No, no, I'm good. I mean, you know, I mean, the whole theater thing makes me think. You, you, you guys remember when we were kids? Like they would just bring films back to the theaters. It wasn't. Uh, well, they're doing that. It, they're doing that. Yeah, this year. yeah. I think even in 2022, when people are, you know, maybe more comfortable, I think they should really bring back some of the movies that didn't get a full run right now. Yeah, they could play in all the theaters that didn't close down. It seems like there was a time when drive-ins were going to make a comeback, too, last year. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hopefully they still do stick around, yeah. Yeah, I saw I saw an ad for an LA drive-in like event for something coming up. There was like a there was like a movie club over here that that would do stuff at the Vista, and yeah, and like now they've kind of adapted to doing stuff at the drive-in. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I wonder. I remember learning that like back in the day, like way back in the day, they would have like drive-ins. They would like build drive-ins like by uh, motels, so you could like rent a motel. Mm. And like it would pipe in the audio from the movie, and you all it would have like this white oh. wall of windows, and so you'd be in the wow. room and you'd watch the movie from your window. Huh. Yeah, yeah, it was like really. I dope. would totally pay for that. Hell yeah, yeah, that's pretty Hell's cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, seriously, get the right room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's I mean, amazing. And the right movie. Yeah. yeah. Well, seriously, I mean, I will say that this whole situation didn't make make me realize that I was taking the experience of going to the theaters for granted. Yeah. I think the last film I saw in the theaters was Birds of Prey. Me too. Which I Me which too. I did yes. enjoy. And yes. listen, I, I had to go yeah. because come on, man. Like, I edited Birds of Prey. So, you know, Dinah, right. wherever right. Dinah Lance goes, I go. Okay, and so I held up as an editor. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I totally support that. Cassandra Kane, notwithstanding. No disrespect yeah. to the actress. Yeah, right? the actress. This was good, but it was they no disrespect to the actors, but yeah. that's not Cassie. But like, that's the thing, right? So I, I got so used to Netflix that I was like, yeah, do I really need to? Do I really need to go out in the cold and go take the train and then <laughs> and then buy like an expensive meal for someone to kick the back of my chair or whatever? But you know, now I think if all that happened, I think I would actually chuckle. <laughs> right? right, like someone right. next to me with their cell phone out, someone right. kicking the back of my chair. I probably just look back and say, "Man, I missed you." <laughs> yeah, you, you, you know what? That gets, particularly in New York City, that shit gets old really fast. I, that's well, what that's I will say. But I will say though, the, la- the the last movie I saw was absolutely Birds of Play, and it was at the Alamo House. I think it's called. The oh Brooklyn man, Alamo Draft House. The thing is, the thing, the, yeah, the Alamo Draft House. And the thing that I loved about it is that that's going to a theater that's an actual experience. Mm-hmm. That is when you really miss the movie. Yes. You know what I mean? And I want to start going to more of those type of places where it's not just your you know, your random ass theater complex, you know, a place where like you have like there's things on the walls, you can order beer, that helps. Um, stuff like that. So I really, I really enjoyed that. So, you know yeah. they did I'm a re- bankruptcy, right? You guys did hear that. I, I, I try not yeah. to talk about that. I know. I mean, I don't think they're not dick. shutting them all down or anything, but they got they got they got really fucked. And they and as far as I know, if I if I know the details right, they they through from the start of the pandemic, they were really trying to like hook up their employees and like be be you know be good with them. Um, they have a good a good record of treating their employees well, but it's like they couldn't stay closed and continue. Like, it sucks. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. I hate to be a contrarian. I bought an 80 inch TV. 
I never want to go back again. <laughs> yeah, uh, but then there's I'm, that. See, but he's right. Here's that that's too. Real. I'm like, that's as, real. as much as, I, and Birds of Prey was the last thing I saw in the theater. And as much wow. as I loved it, being able to go back and rewind <laughs> the hair tie scene is worth, I'm like, Yo. why did I do this in the theater? Why did I do anything in the theater? Theaters are yeah. stupid. Why would I? <laughs> so, I, especially because when I say, I have a family of four. So going to the movies for us mm, is yeah. $100. You got to take out right? a loan. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I can sit in my house and I can, I can watch literally anything. Disney, Disney Plus has been a lifesaver during this pandemic because my kids yeah. have been glued to it. Yep. And with, I mean, my, my youngest daughter and I, we watch Wanda, WandaVision together. So every Friday mm-hmm. morning, we wake up early and watch WandaVision together and talk about it. And I was like, yeah, I, I have an 80-inch TV. Why would I go anywhere? You know, you, you're, not, you're not wrong. We, we, we ended up getting a new TV and a sound bar. <laughs> you're going to laugh. Uh, because of Wonder Woman. Uh, and that was, even though that was a disappointment, even though that was a disappointment, everything else we've seen, you know, we have curtains that block out the sunlight has been amazing. So, yeah, there's that. There's the absolute the ability to pause when you have to use the bathroom or make your own popcorn. Yeah, all that yes. stuff is, it definitely beats the theater. But I, I, I get the experience. Yeah, the theater, you know, it's like a community thing, right? So right. we're talking about birds of prey and like, and like, come on, man, that final fight scene, like everyone's into it, right? Mm-hmm. Like the choreography of it, like everyone getting their shot, you seeing everybody like Dinah the Huntress and all that stuff. It's like, so that's the thing with with all the the little crap that came with it. There was also the community. And so that experience is gone. And so... You know, I hope I hope we can get back to that. I went at I mean, one o'clock in the afternoon. I missed all that, so it was just me. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, forgive me for the background noise, but I think the best experience I've had in recently times is is listening to. I mean, we're going to see Endgame. That was a community yes. experience. So, yeah. that, that I'll give you. Yeah, that, absolutely. That or Absolutely. any, or, or honestly, any Star Wars movie that was not the last three movies. I'm sorry, but I think a lot of that time, like I remember going to see a Star Wars film, and that was like community. You know what I mean? A bunch of nerds in the room. Um, but you, I don't think we're ever going to really experience that again. I don't know what movie will do that for us again. To be quite honest, mm. it's a good question. That's we didn't sad. know what would do it then. We didn't know. I mean, we didn't know yeah. what, when, when that when Mjolnir flew during Endgame. We we had no idea. We, <laughs> we had no that. idea. Yeah, I mean, well. but like the reaction that people had—that's a—that's a—that's a generational thing yeah. that can't be captured. That's lightning in a bottle. So yeah, yeah we didn't. We George didn't know Star Wars was going to be what it was in '77. He hoped, but he didn't know. Yeah. Nobody knew. Mm-hmm. No. The cast, the cast didn't think it was going to be. No, dude, no one they knew. Hate, yeah, yeah, right. It's like Campbell's. But I remember, like, I remember seeing the first Avengers film. It was me and my wife and some friends at the time. She was. I guess, you know, my girlfriend. And I remember we came out of the theater and and I was like, what'd you think? She was like, I really liked it. She was like, I really like Steve and Tony and Natasha. And I was like, holy shit. I was like, she's not calling them by their superhero name. She's calling them by their name. So it's like, holy shit. She cares about the characters. Like this is, like, this is the effect. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When under when underneath the conventions are characters that you give a damn about. Mm. 
you know. Absolutely, absolutely. And and, and I neglected to mention the how I felt watching Black Panther on the screen. Oh, Jesus. That's a absolutely. Go to the my, uh, the the Magic Johnson Theater. It's one twenty fifth Street. You're in for an experience watching Black Panther mm. there. Absolutely. Jesus, yeah, that was yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, but I, I want to shout out, uh, you know, Ushi, longtime show supporter, overall cool dude. Um, Ushi says, I want people to get back into theaters, but as a disabled person, I love having stream being available. I feel mm. like this has come True. up on Cartoon Industry yep. before too, and uh, yep. it is like, I mean, yes, a stream. Without a doubt, is the is a, you know a sort of a democratizer uh, of of media in a way, and it's 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 indubitable. So, agreed. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, that's definitely a, a situation. Um, as I mean, as for me, I do, I do. I miss the theater a lot, but like, don't get it twisted. I wasn't going every week while I was, you know, like. I, I mean, right, yeah. Like same. I'll I'll pretend I was, but I wasn't. Right. Like, but I was yeah. go I was going, and I, it is something. It is like an event I miss, and especially for certain for certain films above others. Meredith, have you weighed in on this whole on this theater chat just yet? What, what are your thoughts? oh, uh, well, the last movie that I saw was Valentine's Day last year, and my partner and I went to go see Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh, wow. nice. I haven't seen it. I heard nice. it. Wait, what, what? What are your thoughts? You have a you have a cool partner. <laughs> uh, well. <laughs> I don't know if he liked it at all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just—it was just a very long advertisement for Olive Garden. So. Really? Oh, really? Wait, what? Also, what? I will also say Wait, you got to break that lot, down. <laughs> there was also a lot of like unwarranted attention drawn to Sonic's feet. And I feel like that was for a very certain demographic of people. Oh, that's oh. the deep Caribbean art contingent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was like, oh, there's wow. like one scene where they had like Sonic's footprint, oh, like a digital like scan, and like it just was very big and prominent. And it was like, okay. I don't really want to look at Sonic's toes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> not now, why I came okay. to see this movie. We have now crossed over into Black Comics chat the the nighttime. Edition. I know one of the screenwriters of that film, and I hope to God he's not listening. You know what I remember? I didn't see the film, but I remember the controversy. When right. the first trailer oh, yeah. came out, oh, yeah. and everyone came down on that like a ton of bricks. Remember? I genuinely believe that they did it on purpose because they also mm. leaked design notes early it on too, and they were awful. Leaking, you're right. They were so ah. bad. The the concept art looked like something I could have done in high school, and that's like not a compliment. Wow! So now you're on something. They courted the controversy. Yeah. Then they got the mm. foot fetish people in the seats. There is yeah. a link yeah. from A to B. Yeah. There's a yeah, because I feel like there were people that went to see this movie just because they wanted to like yeah. witness like see if how did what did yeah what happened yeah right. yeah huh. damn so did that you, was the last movie I saw. That's the last movie you saw. <laughs> but, but, but but tell us but tell us about the one long ad for Olive Garden aspect. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, that's that's like the the thing of the movie is like uh, there it's there's so much product placement and it's mm. not subtle at all. Like. Uh. 
there's there's like one part where you know the guy comes home and the wife is like i'm looking for apartments on zillow.com is there is there any like in the terms of the product placement is there any like winking or like weird sort of meta level about it like where they're like haha we're doing product placement in this ridiculous movie about uh video yeah I think the the Olive Garden might be a little like uh-huh. wink wink nudge nudge, but like it's almost not enough to where it's annoying. It's <laughs> right. like okay, I get it. Like <laughs> okay, but, I'll go to Olive but, Garden. <laughs> but why am I going to now watch Sonic the Hedgehog this weekend? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to now. I'm absolutely gonna why have to now. now. Streaming it tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's absolutely. an experience. You know, the thing about the movie is that. The problem that Sonic has, he can solve in literally like two seconds because he's so fast, but he just right. doesn't. <laughs> mm. Well, that's Clive's... like well, that's like the history of the Flash comic book. I was about to say yeah. the same thing. I'm like, I'm like, bruh, really? <laughs> like, 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 really? Like, really? <laughs> yeah. I'm always yelling at the CW show. I'm like, how is he getting hit? How literally is Barry getting hit? I have no idea why this is happening. To, to be fair, uh, on the CW, we've proven Barry is an idiot. We've proven that. <laughs> if there oh, so that, just, that Trump science. <laughs> if, I'm just right. saying, if Cisco wasn't on that show, the Earth oh, would be gone a million times. God, you're right. so right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, on the cartoons we talk about, the, uh, what's the show? What's the one with the, the guy? Oh, Sky Surfers. Oh, my God. With the... they, they have, they have um, some villains that have near omnipotent powers. Yeah, every villain in that but show they... is a god. And they're right, dumb. But, and they're but they dumb. don't apply they their, don't powers. their powers. They don't use their powers. So they get their asses. Ca- sure. they, they're, they're, their little plans are constantly upended by the heroes when they're like 15 times as, power, as powerful as they are. It's very right. odd. Yeah, like, yeah, it's insane. It, that's a... But, and this is all to say that, like, if you're writing The Flash every month, like, you're baller because, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. if they were like, bro, you want to write The Flash? I was like, you don't want me writing The Flash. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because because if I write it, like, it's basically going to be The Flash rules the DC universe. Right. <laughs> right. Like, like, right. like, do you, are you sure you want me to write that? So I, I, mean, I can't handle super speed now. Yeah. I mean, that arc could work, though. That arc of, you know, could, and and DC is off. clearly missing out on a marketing opportunity for foot fetish people to be buying. Oh my And I think and I think Meredith needs to talk to somebody at DC yeah. Comics on Monday <laughs> <laughs> because they're they're missing out. There's right? an audience you're not tapping here. <laughs> Seriously, yeah, like yeah. you are messing up. <laughs> wow. Right. That's not. Oh, you know what? Let's move on. <laughs> Please. I, mean, I have a question. I have a question. If, I have a question for Hannibal. To be honest, with you. I, I really need to know your okay. what your thought is about Invincible. First, the book, and then the show. Okay. Have you seen it? Have you read it? I need to know your thoughts. I have read every episode, every issue rather, of the comic, and I have watched now every ep- episode of the show. The comic, I felt, had an enormous problem with pacing as it would have lengthy stretches that were very slow and plodding and very conversational-based. And then they'd be like, oh, really quickly, punch, 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 and then go back to all the talking. And I thought that was a big problem at, what, $3 a, a week, Agreed. a month or whatever? Agreed. The show, the show says, yeah, 
we're not going to do any of that. We're going to strip down the first hundred issues and we're going to get them done in the first season, baby. And it, we are going to run this table. And I think it's really surprising how effective the show has come out because I walked in with like, like I said, I'd read the comic. I was like, okay, I, I kind of see where this is going. I was like, Oh, but we're, we're, we're just going to, we're just going to do this now. We're not going to wait. We're just going to, Oh, okay. Oh, all right. Strap in then kids. Let's go. Uh, and, and I'm really enjoying a lot of it because the only thing I regret is that I wish I hadn't read the comic because I can't imagine yeah. freaking out watching yeah. the show, not knowing what's going to happen. Cause I already know. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, you I made that mistake too. Yeah. yeah but, but it's like people who watch game of Thrones first. It's like uh, when people, when we finally got the red wedding, they were like, Oh, here you are. Okay, good sucker. <laughs> That's privilege. My yeah, partner. That's true. My partner and I are actually watching it as well, and I have not read the comics, so I am having that experience. Yeah. <laughs> it is awesome. how, how are you enjoying I was, nothing? I, I will tell you nothing. I will say I've never yeah, read no, it don't tell me either. So I'm, I'm um, now thrilled that I've never read it. Oh my gosh. Um, the last 10 minutes of the first episode blew me away. Yeah. So much so that my partner and I rewind, like we went back <laughs> to the beginning of that scene and watched it again. Like the animation you could tell that that's where they put all the budget into the animation yeah. and it's like oh my god it's amazing yeah they, they're really going yeah. they're really putting it all on the table for this and and i really appreciate it because i think that even after the weekly release that this will be something people can return to this is this is an animation project that really has legs on it i think unless they screw up the ending of course oh god I hope i'm enjoying it yeah i think it's a shade above mediocre Damn, Leo. This is why I love Leo. This is what he this does. This is why we love Leo. You know, like, it, it we has, have like the killjoy. Yo, it, like, we have solidarity everyone, here. Like, when everyone have their fun, that's and fine. then he just that's like, fine. he like walks, he's like walks in the room. Yo, yo I can't like. And like drops, drops the, drops the steak bomb. <laughs> Look, I can't, I can't like it you know for is? you, so I can't hate a thing for you either. Le right? Leo is Mark Wahlberg in Departed. At the end of the movie, that's what Leo. Wow. <laughs> listen, listen. I don't, yo, I, I, I definitely, I don't pee or poop on anyone's parade. But I mean, but no, to me, it's like that. It's, it's, it's eminently watchable. I'm not done with it. I haven't quit the show. But I think it has like some of the absolute most banal conversational. Uh, content that like I've ever heard in a superhero show. It's almost like, look how fucking boring these people are. Now we're gonna see like an alien get its head like punched off, and there's your contrast. But like that stuff like, was in the comic. You I know like that's Kirkman. That's Kirkman. Like to like I have a lot of I have issues with Kirkman. I like but things see, that he does. I don't like things that he does. And like yeah, yeah. like the, this this like just. Like people will have like a two minute conversation about their difficulties in high school. Like the conversation that that he has with um. What's her eager? What's her name? Um, Amber. Adam Eve. Amber. Adam, Adam Eve. The conversation that yeah. he has with Adam Eve uh, after like they've like, revealed themselves and like she's going through something. Different, <laughs> it's like a two and a half minute long conversation that like I mean I I have trouble getting to sleep like no, like I mean I I. I, that conversation completely knocked me out. I'm like, this but, entire thing is nothing but like, it's cliches. But you guys are pausing on the words like they mean something. Like, it's it's bad. It's outright bad. But then the show, like, then there's a little moment where it's just like, look at this cool shit. And I'm like, all right, I'm awake. Yeah. Oh, that is cool. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm here. I'm, I'm, I mean, this is. But but Leo. But I love Leo. But, but we want we want. But 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 Meredith and Hannibal and I want Robert Kirkman to hire us to work on the spinoff. 
<laughs> so you, no, you can't you can't you can't keep busting on it like this on our, on on episode. Yo, okay. <laughs> I don't want. I'm not asking for that. I'm not. No one, has, no, one has I'm to agree, no one has to agree with me. This is just me. This is just me. Everybody on Black Comedy Chat knows this is just me. I I can't be. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so funny. But I'm also still. I'm in the seat for it. Right, was wrong. No, but I'm still here for it. Like I, I, I'm not like I'm watching. Absolutely, I haven't watched a lot. The only episode I haven't watched is the one that came out today. But no, I'm here. I'm, I'm watching that. I ain't going nowhere. All right, so all it's right. working. All it's right, working. Ooh. All right. Amazon Prime's making my bucks. I get. I don't know how it. That okay, works, begin but... your dough. Okay. <laughs> They're getting my so, money. <laughs> you can see why I asked that question. Just, just for yep. this. Yep. You lit <laughs> the match. Wow. Yeah. This was a curveball, and I knew what was gonna happen. <laughs> I, I, there's more I could say, and I won't. I won't. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm watching it. I'm watching it. Well, then, okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna counter question then. Conversely, because everybody online was asking the question, Omni Man versus Homelander. What are you thinking oh, about yes. the boys? Oh, I, I have, I haven't. Finished I've only season seen one. season one. I haven't yeah. finished it. And I think it's genius. Yeah, I, I like I, what I, I saw, and I used to read the comic when it when it was out. I, I like the boys show much more than the comic. Um, yeah. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think it's one of those things where you have a group of people who, as Hannibal had said, they took the comic and be like, "Nope, we're not. We're not doing all this other <laughs> trash shit. We're gonna Thankfully. stick to our story yeah. and we're gonna run with it." And I, what, I what Garth Ennis thing could you adapt without changing it? Like, is there anything he's ever made? <laughs> I mean, yeah, like Preacher is like a totally different story. Like the. The, the preacher show. I'm sorry, Tony. I cut you off. No, no, no. I was gonna say like I, I but yeah, he still ends up getting work that's adapted, even though you got to change all of it. That's just okay. I guess that's perfect, <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 Uh, uh. Those are interesting. Getting the core idea. People aren't interested in total fidelity because that's mm -hmm. not necessarily gonna fit every format. Right. 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 True. True. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons Watchmen is so brilliant, the uh, HBO Watchmen oh, series. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a brilliant, that is a brilliant show. Yeah. So when you Amazing. see the MPLS uh, uh, sound adaptation, and Teresa is actually a guy named Terry, don't be surprised. I'm just going to say, <laughs> you know. Damn. Uh, Damn. No, I need that. What's, what's, what's the Joe, name of? Joe and I will be swimming in one of them Scrooge McDuck belt <laughs> money. <laughs> Listen. Like when we see that, <laughs> we know that y'all got paid. That's Yo, what I listen. MPLS Down starring Billy Porter <laughs> oh. as Teresa Booker. Okay. I'm keeping well, me money. That's, that's brilliant, actually. <laughs> Dude, you, you think I'm joking? I'm hoping Billy Porter listening to this right now Holy so he can talk to his agent and they can, and they can make this happen. I got no problem. Okay. That's probably better. But if, if we do get Terry Porter... I'm just gonna, you know, say, oh, at least they're swimming. You know, that's that's gonna be, yeah, yeah, gonna be my my that's mantra. You know, that's the... we talked about oh, it here first. <laughs> good, good, oh good. man, <laughs> nah, but um, I mean, you know what? I think I think that's a good place to uh, to to, to wrap things on, on on future money bins. But hopefully, you guys will get to the money bin, uh, you know, while keeping the story intact. Because one thing I will say is, like, looking at the pages. It felt like mm -hmm. something I could see easily translating. Absolutely. You know, so, yeah. Hell Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so actually, yeah. I mean, I definitely want to go around and find let everybody know where they can, uh, you know, see more of everybody's work. But first and foremost, where can everybody find uh, MPLS Sound? 
Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Well, wait a minute. They're saying they're selling out in some places because some people are saying okay. they're having a hard time finding it. Because mm. mm. there was okay. a shop. Who? Who? What was that shop in New York that was tw- uh, tweeting us saying they couldn't find it, uh, Joe? Yeah, yeah. One of them. I know. Um. Yeah, I think uh, one of them said they sold out their last copy. That's one thing we've been hearing from okay. a few stores. Like they sold out their last copy, and um, I know my two Brooklyn. Hey, listen, listen, this yeah. is, and and I have to, you know, like at 1995, like the mm. fact that people are so drawn to it and they're like, yeah, like I want this, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and it's making them feel good. I think that's dope. So yeah, man, anyone who does, who doesn't have it, like don't sleep on it. Yeah. Right on. All right, cool. All right. Um, I'm going to go around the table. Uh, so uh, Meredith, where can people uh, find you in your work? Um, so on Twitter, I'm Meredet with two T's, M-E-R-D-E-T-T. And on Instagram, I'm Meredet with a, a, a an underscore, underscore, M-E-R underscore D-E-T. Yeah. Living okay, underscore Twitch. Social media life. Yeah. Yes. I, yeah, yes, yes. I also have an Instagram <laughs> so, underscore. Yeah. I wish right. that I could have the same name on every platform, but someone beats me to it every time. Yeah. Is that the t- is that what you is is can we call that being getting underscored when like you have to, yeah. uh, <laughs> you have to underscore your shit on nice. Wow. Yeah. Damn yeah. it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> True. All right. Uh Hannibal, where can people find you online? Well, I do have the same uh name on every possible platform. So it's okay. uh, just at sign Hannibal Taboo on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Tumblr, MySpace, Friendster, Plurk. Uh, radiation beaming from the sun, DNA of your best friend, and everywhere that you want to be. And Clubhouse. I know you, al- you almost and had Clubhouse. me. Oh, you're on Clubhouse? I, I, right. I was yeah. about to ask yeah. you about MySpace, but okay. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> if you go to Black Planet, you still find it there. Black Planet. <laughs> I, I might still have a Black Planet page. <laughs> That's funny. Black Planet. That's funny. Oh, oh my God. But actually, didn't Black Planet actually predate... Uh, you know, most of the stuff that people are on. Hey, yes. yes. It was pre Facebook, right? Yes. It was pre it was pre Friendster because Friendster was pre MySpace. MySpace right. was pre Facebook. And I unfortunately have seen all of these things coming up. <laughs> yeah. Black, uh, Black, Planet. Black Planet, it was it got off to a nice start, but it became spam central. It just yeah, yeah like everything. I found somebody spam. took all of my pictures on Black Planet and made their own <laughs> profile and started trying to be me. And I was like, What oh, you didn't change the file names, man. He was an IT person. He didn't even change the file names to have my name in them. I'm like, what are you doing? Oh, wow. <laughs> what? Yeah, Marcus, you know our music page is still on MySpace, but none of the songs play. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh-oh. MySpace somehow, like, backed up and, like, returned all the sites that, like, went down or whatever. So it, it's there, but we can't do anything with it. Oh. Ooh, I'm interested. I left and- 1,100 blogs on that. I want to go look. Yeah, they apparently yeah. like re-upped, like because yeah, a bunch of stuff vanished. But uh, whoever bought it or whatever they did with it, it looks like they re-upped the old content. It was Justin Timberlake. Justin Timberlake bought it. True story. Damn, it, damn you, Timberlake. All right. Uh, <laughs> Joe, where can people find you online? Well, I can't follow up after damn you, Justin Timberlake. But, um, <laughs> like, 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 that's really the end of the episode. Right yeah, right. But, um, so, I'm Joe Illage on Facebook, Joseph P. Illage on Twitter, and Illmaster1 on Ooh. Instagram. Okay. Okay. Because there can only be one. Hmm. All right, no doubt, no doubt. And um, uh, Leo, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch the order. Leo, where can people find you online? 
Uh, you can find me at Leonardo EFF on Twitter. You can probably not find me on Instagram because that shit is a secret. Uh, I haven't posted anything though. But you uh, say it every week. <laughs> I know. I don't. I don't know. I don't even know what it. What is my Insta? I actually forgot what it was. I may be I underscored. Just your I may be underscored. I don't. I don't remember. I know. I like never post. I just used to follow people. Um, and uh, you know, you can find me in Manana coming out. Uh, the Latinx uh, sci-fi anthology of comics. That's my first comic. It's my comic debut. Without hey. The first one. Thank you very much. That's coming out. Wow. Yeah. Uh, at least you didn't say post Marcus. <laughs> no. <laughs> Temporarily. <my> first... <laughs> a story that Marcus did not draw. This is my first story okay. that Marcus All did right. not draw. Um, and uh, and yeah, and you can also find me and the boys uh, every weekend on cartoons and cereal right here at approximately eleven thirty. Eastern Standard, Ish. CP time notwithstanding, uh, where we watch old 80s, 90s cartoons and joke around and stuff. Tony, where can people yes. find you outside of the Blue Check Republic? Oh, my God. People can find me on uh, Twitter and on Instagram and Clubhouse as Latin Negro. Um, you can get my works as the motorcycles ramp up. You can get my works wow. at anthonytarot.com, uh, where you can find both novels and uh, a copy of Puerto Rico Strong, uh, the Eisner Award-winning Puerto Rico Strong. Uh, yeah. You can still buy uh, copies. Uh, money goes to uh, people affected by Hurricane Maria. And I will also be in Manana as well. Uh, not with Leo, but, you know, I'll be nice. part of that thing too. So it's, it's good. Yep. Cool. Um, Marcus, where yeah, can man. people find you, my good man? Yes. Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Marcus Kwame, on Instagram at Marcus underscore Kwame, or just uh, MarcusKwame.com for everything. Um, please pick up uh, if you if you if you're interested the Black Panther Party of Graphic Novel History. Um, also, Snow Days. With, we we have some new we have some new Snow Days coming soon. I'm getting getting to the end of my inking. Um, so, so, you know, it's coming and, uh, yes, uh, with, with the crew here on, uh, weekends for cartoons and cereal. I also applaud you for not saying Marcus Kwame dot Kwam. Like, I know, God. I know. It's I a tongue twister. I knew you were fighting it. I, uh, that's, I, a, that, that's a domain. I stuck the landing. Need. That's a domain. I'm going to register that right yeah, now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm underscoring you, pal. Underscoring you pal. You're underscoring you fast. <laughs> 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 Underscored again. Yo. <laughs> Got the scoop. Oh man. All right, y'all. Right, right, yeah, Thank this you. this has been been great. And definitely everybody pick up this book. Uh you yeah. you won't regret it. Um and all, yeah, support MPLS Sound. Thank, Thank you so everyone. much for Thank having us, y'all. So this has been great. Yeah, this is fantastic. Yeah, and awesome. I've learned cool. so much. About Sonic, that I will not <laughs> unlearn. You're, I'm, you're watching it. Sonic. I'm watching I'm, it, and I'm going to at you, Meredith. I'm going to tell you right now. Please, please do. Yeah. I really want to know, like y'all's experience with this. I just want to know that I'm not alone. We might have to do a live tweet. We might have to do a live. <laughs> tweet. Yeah, yeah, it might Make sure you order a Olive Garden. Yes. What I've learned. What I've learned today is that while Joe and I are wasting our time with a big vault full of swimming gold, Meredith is going to have these sensitive, these very, you know, sensible investments. And she's going to be getting her Olive Garden stock. And she's going to have her, her Shoals foot stuff. And she's going to be in a better shape than any of us. Yeah. yeah. Sound That's investments. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> All right. This is great. Thank you. All right, y'all. All right, All right y'all. You. Have a good night. Have a good weekend. Thank you. Y'all be good safe. Night, everyone. Bye. 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 Black comics chat. Black comics chat.